0: If there's one thing to be certain about, we are in uncertain times. And times of uncertainty are times of opportunity
1: for those who would seek to profit. It seems like every week there's a new miracle cure or treatment for the novel coronavirus. And with the science about COVID-19 still less
0: than a year old, finding good information can be the difference between life and death
1: during a pandemic. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is Why.
0: Knowledge itself is power. Those words are from Sir Francis Bacon, dating back to the 16th century. And some 400 years later, those words ring especially true during this pandemic. Knowing what to do when facing a new viral threat is having
1: the power to protect and prevent catching the virus. But in the era of instant worldwide communication for just about everyone, the sheer amount of bad information around the coronavirus out there is, well, jaw-dropping, especially when that bad information is being spread by very influential people. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it? There's a tremendous number of logs, so it'd be interesting to check that. That's U.S. President Donald Trump in April suggesting that light therapy or injection of disinfectant could be used to kill COVID-19. He's gone on to advocate for lots of other experimental and since disproved treatments, ignoring what the science is actually saying. And if the president of the United States, who has access to all of the latest research and data, can make
0: incorrect claims about COVID-19 and possible treatments... What's a person without access to that information to do? Timothy Caulfield is the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy. And uh, for those avid Netflix users might recognize the name from a user's guide to cheating death. And he joins us. Thanks for your time, Timothy.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Timothy, the, the coronavirus pandemic has been with us officially since March. It's been a number of months. Since then, the world has really focused its attention on everything COVID-19, uh, if it's, uh, you know, potential cures, potential treatments, uh, causes, the way that it's spread. Um, I'm wondering, you've been a, 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 a an observer of scientific information and how it's spread in, you know, among the public. How, I'm wondering how that state of scientific information has changed and been affected by the coronavirus pandemic.
2: You know, it really is a a, an incredible time in the context of science communication um you know at the beginning of 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 the pandemic i was optimistic maybe naively so that uh this was going to cause the public to sort of embrace science right And, and recognize the harm that misinformation and twisted science can do and i think early days we saw that we saw that we saw really high levels of trust in our public health authorities we saw high levels of trust in science but holy cow, is it, has it changed over the last six, six seven months? Um, we're seeing a drop in, in trust uh, for public health authorities, you know, particularly in the United States, but also starting to happen here in Canada. We're seeing an incredible number of Canadians embrace conspiracy theories. There's a lot of really interesting research on that. Um, and we're also seeing, perhaps most scary, uh, and a rise in vaccination hesitancy. So you have... You have all this science going on, all this science communication going on, and, and despite that, you have this erosion in, in trust. And, and part of it is just an incredibly, an incredibly chaotic information environment right now.
1: Timothy, you mentioned a chaotic information environment. What happened that eroded the trust of the public? Was it bad actors coming in? Was it bad science? Was it just an increase in signal and therefore noise?
2: All, of the, above. <laughs> All of the above, right? You know, it, it really it, it has been um, sort of unfortunately the the success of misinformation is a big part of it, right? You know, on social media, and there's been really interesting research that shows that. You know, if you get your information primarily from Facebook and YouTube, you're more likely to believe misinformation. Than if you get your news from conventional sources, right? Uh, and there's been a lot of, you know, they had to be careful not to overinterpret that data, but there's a lot of it out there now. So that, you know, that's definitely part of, part of the story. Uh, the other thing is the science has been so uncertain, and it remains uncertain. And and there has been fear and frustration. We know that that kind of environment uh, sort of invites people to embrace conspiracy theories. People want stories, right? The narratives that can sort of explain things, and that's often what conspiracy theories do. So we've seen we've seen a lot of that. But there, it also is bad actors and what's been called super spreaders. So the study that came out. Um, that showed recently, very recently, that showed that Donald Trump was the number one source of misinformation in the context of media and online news sources. The number one source, you know, something crazy like 38% of all bits of misinformation had some kind of link to Donald Trump. So that really shows how these prominent individuals can, can shape the 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 global discussion about, about COVID, and it, it's really scary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You, you talk about how science has been unsure very early on in this pandemic. For a long time, you and others and largely society viewed scientists as experts, as authority figures in their area of study and to be trusted. But if an authority figure is unsure about what they know... That seems to me that introduces the opportunity for people to to begin to doubt that authority figure. What about the role of educating people on the scientific process?
2: Yeah, really. You know, that's it's an excellent point. I think there's a, you know a couple of things going on there. Uh, the science has been uncertain, right? So uh, there's often this this belief, and you know, I, I get it on my Twitter feed, and I get it when I talk to people when I'm giving presentations that that, that somehow. Science is a list of facts, right? And if one of those facts is wrong, then science is wrong. That science is almost immutable, right? It doesn't change. On the contrary, right? Science is, is a process. It's a tough process. Um, it's a messy process. Um, and and I think people are watching science unfold now, which they don't normally do, right? They're, they're seeing the sausage being made and they don't like what they see. They're seeing retractions, right? They're Mm. seeing arguments within the scientific community. They're seeing how there's these reversals in opinions. We've seen that around masks, but that's how science happens. So I think you're right. I think part of it is part of We have to be more transparent about the evidence we're using. We have to be more transparent about our uncertainty. And I really do think there's also a role for educating the public, really educating all of us uh, on how science plays out. But, but the other thing that's going on is there has been bad science, too, right? And uh, we saw that around, you know, the famous hydroxychloroquine study that was retracted from Lancet. That introduces a level of doubt also. And then you also see in the United States the potential for political interference in the scientific process. So then more, more doubt creeps in. So it's almost a worst-case scenario where you have, Misinformation out there, and you have all these forces inviting people, inviting people to doubt the good science.
0: I, I'm I'm wondering when, like the, the, a panel of doctors. You also saw this. There was a couple of doctors out of out of uh, California, I believe. They um, look very official. They have credentials. They have medical credentials, and they're speaking out against. Uh, the, this This current pandemic and various uh, you know uh, approaches to it by be it by government or or, or industry how does one see through so how does how does one see through what they 're presenting as 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 bad information
2: yeah, i think i think there's a couple things going on here and, and, and i 'm glad you highlighted this because uh, another really prominent Force right now, or, or one that's being very persuasive, are these documentaries, or these YouTube videos? Um, uh, uh, we saw also in the United States. I don't remember the one where there's a bunch of doctors standing on on the cap on uh, on the steps of the Capitol. Right, um, America's frontline doctors right now all had on their their um, you know white coats, of course. And they were basically spewing conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. um, and, and we know again, interesting research has highlighted how persuasive that can be. Now, what's often what they often do is they use anecdotes, they use powerful stories, and there's also interesting empirical work that shows that a compelling anecdote, uh, you know, a compelling story, a narrative can overwhelm our scientific thinking. And I think that's often exactly what's happening in these YouTube clips, uh, especially when you have a doctor, um, you know, someone who's uh, usually viewed as uh, an authority figure here, and it creates this false balance, as if there is two sides to the story. Well, on the one hand, we have this scientific argument. On the other hand, we have this scientific argument. That's not the case at all. But unfortunately, these kinds of portrayals can be very persuasive. There was also an interesting study that came out this summer that showed just having a slick presentation, this is good for the media to know, <laughs> just having a good, a slick presentation can make it look more credible. Uh, and we've seen that with a lot of other Netflix documentaries, not, a, not the one we worked on, where they have this slick presentation and they can push pseudoscience or misinformation. So we've seen it with, um, you know, Game Changers, and we saw it with, you know, What the Health, these kinds of documentaries that are very slick. And, of course, even with Plandemic, that horrible conspiracy theory documentary on COVID, uh, just the presentation, the use of narratives, you know, the use of what I call scienceploitation, sciency language, um, can be very persuasive, and it's having a big impact, I think, on, on public perceptions.
1: So basically, you just take a slick presentation, the use of white lab coats, and then prey on a person's visual nature and use anecdotes to play to their emotions. Am I understanding that correctly, Timothy?
2: You're right. You're exactly right about that. And um and and what we need to do i think to get the good science across is use you know similar strategies we need good creative uh, creative communication strategies we need to use narratives <laughs> we need to use images we even need to use humor in order to get across the good science now i'm not saying we should fight anecdote with anecdote but we can use the same kind of strategies to get across the good science and you're starting to see that happen more and more even the world health organization now has these you know infographics that you can that you can share uh, you know the, the you know Debunk COVID myths, and you're starting to see a lot. You know more videos. We 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 did a video with Media Smarts where we are trying to debunk things and encourage people to pause and think before they share misinformation. So you're starting to see these strategies emerge. But unfortunately, the other side, you know, whether it's anti-vaxxers or conspiracy theorists, kind of have a head start on us.
0: I'm I'm wondering if as the number of people who get this coronavirus or no other people who've this, gotten this coronavirus and have suffered um, any number of symptoms because of it or, or effects because of it. I'm wondering if there will kind of naturally be a sea change in opinion about this
2: pandemic. Do you mean almost like a, a numbing starts to occur that it becomes almost normalized?
0: Well, numbing, and also, but also maybe a countervailing force of, oh, I know somebody who was, oh, you know, stuck in 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 the house for for months on end, or, or I know somebody who whose parent died because of the coronavirus.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting point, and. And I think that that's also one of the reasons that we see the the, the misinformation and, and people believing that this has been exaggerated, because they don't know people that have been touched by it, right? They don't see it. Mm-hmm. But now, as more and more individuals are becoming infected, in fact, this is even in my own world, you know, I'm starting to know people that have been infected and known people who have died as a result of COVID, uh, it does start to become more personal. And, and and it'll be interesting to see what happens even with you know, the the president of the United States has has tested positive, whether that is going to impact people's perception of the severity. There was a a very interesting study that came out quite recently that found that 23% of Canadians, which is pretty high, I think, believe that um, the governments have, you know, provincial and federal have exaggerated um, this phenomenon. In The United States, I think it was 41%, so it's lower than the United States, but still quite concerning. And I think that really highlights how there's this, you know, the COVID fatigue coming in and, and people starting to get just tremendously frustrated.
1: It's interesting you mentioned the survey of people thinking the effects of COVID-19 are exaggerated. If a vaccination needs, say, 80% of the population to take it for it to be effective on a city or countrywide basis, does that group who dealt the efficacy of a virus directly threaten society?
2: absolutely I, you know the, this misinformation this doubt this, this erosion and trust that we're talking about it, it's having it's already had you know a tangible impact it's it's resulted in deaths it's resulted in hospitalizations it's had an adverse impact on health and science policy it's contributed to the chaotic and in, information environment but perhaps the biggest concern is the impact it's going to have on vaccine uptake and um the united states the the numbers are really grim where you have um you know well below fifty percent of the population saying they'll get the vaccine when it first comes out. There was a recent study that came out here in Canada that found a, uh, an, a scary drop. So in in July, forty six percent of Canadians, which is still too low, I think, said they would get the vaccine when it first came out. That's dropped to only 39% of Canadians. This is an Angus Reid poll, I believe, saying that they will get the vaccine when it comes out. Yes, another proportion, I can't remember what it was, you know, low 30 say they'll get it after time, they wait and see. Mm-hmm. But still, it really reflects this erosion in trust. And, and Adam, when you lay on top of that, all the other barriers to getting a vaccine, you know, you know convenience, a- access, maybe you're a, a single parent and, and it's not easy for you to get one. You, you know, the numbers look, look really scary.
1: So if someone catches up to you on the street or reaches out to you via social media and says, I used to think that this pandemic was a hoax. I now realize that it isn't. What can I do to educate myself further? And what would your message be to that person?
2: You know, I tell them to go to the the, the sources that are aggregating the science in a responsible manner. And this goes, this is going to touch back on something we just talked about. Um, so it used to be really easy to, <laughs> to say, go to the Public Health Authority of Canada, go to the CDC, go to the World Health Organization, go to the NHS in, in the UK. But, but we have seen an erosion in, in trust in those institutions. So it, it is getting more difficult to provide this, this simple response. Um, but I still think it's, it's true. You know, you want to go to the entities that are looking at the body of evidence that are responsibly following the science as it evolves. Um, and by and large, those are, are those those are the institutions. I also say you know stay away from social media, ignore anecdote and testimonials, watch for conspiracy conspiracy theories. Um, you know, one of some of the work that we're doing at the institute is you know we're trying to look at what the evidence says how you can change people's minds, and the good news is you can right. You know that debunking does work, and especially if you do it respectfully and you use you know those creative communication strategies. And the other thing you want to do is, you know, don't try to change the minds of those hardcore deniers. You know, they, we all have them in our mm-hmm. lives. You're not going to change their minds. This is an ideological thing for them. The message should really be the general public, right? That should be the message. That's who you want to, to get to.
0: Do you expect things to get worse as we, uh, as far as the the... the amount of noise uh, among scientific information, uh, do you expect things to get worse as uh, we continue along here uh, and what looks like is going to be a second wave uh, through the fall and winter?
2: Um, unfortunately, I do think it's 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 going to get worse. Um, I think it's going to get more polarized. We're starting to see more of an ideological com- component to all of of the the misinformation. Um, you know, wearing a mask now is an ideological symbol. Who would have guessed that? You know, hydroxychloroquine is now an ideological symbol. Who would have guessed that? So we're starting to see more more of that um, happening. Um, I also think, you know, as we already touched on, people are getting more frustrated. And they're getting angrier. So we're starting to see, um, you know, more of these anti-mask protesters. Now, the good news is a relatively small number of Canadians fall in that camp. The good news is most Canadians are, are very supportive of these initi- initiatives, uh, but I do worry about, about this this polarization of, of the public uh, discussion.
0: If you want to follow the work Timothy is doing, look up the Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta, and if you're listening to this on podcast, we've included a link in the show notes.
2: The other thing I encourage people to do is look at Media Smart's campaign. Um, think, uh, then share. Uh, it's Got great videos, again, information that people can share widely about how to try to stop the, this infodemic.
1: This is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca, and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands and wear a mask. We'll see you soon.